Welcome to the Garden Path Podcast, an occasional podcast about gardening and the natural world. I'm your host, Misty Little. Eh, so about that occasional podcast part, while it wasn't my intention to totally change the tagline of the podcast, I think it actually fits really well with the state of the podcast right now. I need some flexibility in producing the podcast and have decided not to stick with any particular schedule for now, which I know is probably a detriment to the overall health of the podcast, but I would rather be putting out great content once or twice a month than pushing myself to put out mediocre content more frequently. So I hope you'll bear with me during this time. I am excited to bring this episode to y'all though, an interview with Amy Martin, a writer and researcher from Dallas who is currently compiling a biography on Texas environmentalist Ned Fritz. Now you may be asking, who the heck is Ned Fritz? And I was right there with you up until last spring when I read his book, Realms of Beauty, about the wilderness areas of East Texas. His writing cracked me up and it was so relevant to today that I was sad to see that Ned had passed away in 2008 after a half century or more of environmental activism in Texas for places and things you may or may not have heard of. I heard Amy give a talk to the Dallas Sierra Club back in January and knew I needed to interview her for this podcast. More people need to know about Ned Fritz and what he stood for, how much he fought to protect Texas land and water, and why we need more Ned Fritzes more than ever. All right, on to my conversation with Amy Martin. Well, I guess we could start, kind of go back to the beginning. You know, Amy, I recently heard your talk at the Dallas Sierra Club over Zoom and you know i actually just came to know who even ned fritz was last year so maybe we can back up we can talk about who you are if you want to introduce yourself um you know a little bit about what you do and why you're writing a biography on ned fritz and and yeah go from there well me and ned go back quite a ways because when i was in my early 20s i um was writing a series on nuclear power because we had a nuclear power plant going in in North Texas. And uh, I was doing it for just a little tiny tabloid. You know, back then it was it was actually on a mimeograph machine. Oh, wow. <laughs> purple. And uh, somehow Ned found out about it and um, gave me an award oh. from his group, which was called Texas Committee on Natural Resources. I was all of 22. And I thought, huh maybe this could be a living. And so I went back to college and, um, and, and started to get a journalism degree. So um, it was last year, um, about a year or so ago, that um, I was writing this book called Wild DFW, Explore the Amazing Nature Around Dallas, Fort Worth. And there's this trail that uh, was one of the chapters that was featured. And it's called the Ned and Jeannie Fritz Texas Buckeye Trail. So I thought, well, this is a great opportunity. Let me include some material about Ned in there. And I happened to be taking the hike with uh, Christy Kerr Leonard and Ned's daughter, Eileen McKee, who's an old friend of mine from way back. And I discovered and Christy leads this restoration team that's working on this trail. And both she and I had been looking for material on Ned Fritz and discovered that it was really getting pretty hard to find. Ned's glory days were the 70s and 80s. And most publications, when the material is that old, they take it off their website and they offload it into an archive somewhere. So... For, for people looking for quick information about Ned, 
it was getting pretty difficult. Um, and so we thought, well, we should do something about this. And that's when we started kicking around the idea of doing a website about him. Um, having done in the process of doing a book with um, uh, Timber Press, print books take so long. Yeah. <laughs> and Ned's widow is 98 years old. So we wanted to get this done sooner than later. Yeah. So um, we decided that a website was the way to go and that we would crowdfund it. We would um, ask for donations for people to um, fund me and fund the webmaster and fund the project manager to do this piece. And so um, that's how I came to start to learn everything about Ned. Of course, I thought that I had knocked this thing out in six months. <laughs> And then I discovered that there was so much to net. It's become more like a three-year project I'm yeah. beginning to see. Yeah. Um, and it's a biography. I want to make sure I get everything right. So that's how I ended up deep into the world of net. Yeah. No, that's really, really interesting. And I'm glad you're doing this because, you know, like I said, I only came to know who he was last year. I read Realms of Beauty and I'm reading through this book going, this guy's funny. He has some interesting yeah. takes. I agree with him. And then I start Googling. And I'm like, oh my God, he was yeah. amazing. And, you know, come to find out he's you know, passed away and, and all of that. But there was this whole background. I think your website was just beginning by the time mm -hmm. I found him, but it's come a long way. It looks yeah. amazing now. And um, then to come to find out you're writing a book and doing all this work and just, yeah, I think it's something, he's someone that Texans should know about, and I don't really? think anybody knows about. <laughs> he kind of, you know, starting in the 80s, um, people started to forget about him because, of course, he wasn't, you know, um, out and about. He, yeah. he himself was, you know, getting kind of old by then. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, um, he's omnipresent in Texas environmental history. Um when you start to realize that he's been at it since the 1950s, you know, he was with, um, before there was a Audubon in Texas, there was the Texas Ornithological Society. Well, Ned has loved birds since he was very young. I mean, like 10 years old, he's been watching birds. And so he started working with them to protect golden eagles and Harris hawks, which were being hunted by, I mean, relentlessly hunted by West Texas ranchers who had seen the birds pecking on carcasses and assumed that the birds had killed the cows yes. and sheep and such. Well, come on now, folks. Right. <laughs> and what people don't understand is that birds of prey are, are carrion eaters when it's opportunistic when they're low on food or when it's just a fresh death, they'll just go in and have a meal, particularly bald, particularly eagles. They're yeah. known for carrying and eating. And uh, um, so he got some laws passed to prevent that from happening. And ultimately golden eagles were added um, partly because of this to the bald eagle protection act. So that's, that's where Ned started. And then he, uh, the Audubon society started getting going and they had a big um, oh conference bird watching to do in the hill country. And when he was there, he had a revelation. If I want to protect birds, I have to save their habitat. Yeah. And 
that's where Ned, the land preservation guy, started going. And he um, was the first acquisitions director for the Nature Conservancy in Texas. Wow. And because he knew he'd started the land trust movement in mm -hmm. Texas. And um, because he knew the state so well, um, right off the bat, 17 places preserved. And some of those are really kind of famous right now. Um, what the Texas Nature Conservancy does sometimes is they will go in and secure a piece of property and then arrange for someone else to take it over. Right. So one of the very first thing that Ned did was secure the property for the Atwater Prairie Chicken National Preserve outside of Houston and net TNC grabbed that because there it was going yeah. fast and uh, TNC grabbed that and then it was turned over to the federal government um, another place that we kind of take for granted is Matagora Island yeah uh, state park well he's the one who set that in motion because of his concern about shorebirds mm -hmm. and wading birds and so forth and that there was too many cars on this stretch of beach. In fact, he did some work with the Texas legislature to set aside, um, he identified the bird uh, sensitive areas of the coast and lobbied very hard to get those protected as no car zones. And and, and he did to, not to the extent that he wanted, but yeah, he did he get several something. things set aside. Yeah. It's not, we don't think of him much as a, as a shore person, but he did a lot of work uh, on the Gulf Coast shore. So he, um, he started, he, he was with in the Nature Conservancy for quite a few years. Um, part of what he did while he was still with them, I believe he was still with them at the time, he did something called the Texas Natural Areas Survey, TNAS. And what he did was he, because he has this incredible network of connections, he uh, started asking people what places should be preserved and started making a huge list of this. And people were to, to say what was exceptional about this place. Was it the visual beauty? Was it the wildlife there? Was it you need to secure this because it will prevent erosion? Um, whatever it was. At the same time this was going on, and this is in the 1950s. Um, the the whole nation was engaged in this um, kind of New Deal spinoff stuff, mm -hmm. um, and there there was just crazy amount of infrastructure building, and what Ned fondly referred to as the water hustlers, um, <laughs> they were wanting to build reservoirs everywhere. Yes, and there was this utterly insane idea that they were going to dam all of the rivers in East Texas, all that bottom land, mm -hmm. make reservoirs out of them, ship that water to West Texas and, and put agriculture out there. Right now, right. this is not only a long distance to go, it's uphill, right? Several yeah. hundred feet. The, the, the elevation increases as you get towards the Rocky mountains that didn't go, oh, um, part of this idea was to dam the Palo Duro Canyon. Oh boy. <laughs> and have that as a holding reservoir for water. They were absolutely out of control. And Ned saw this. 
He saw this collusion between federal government, state government, businesses um, that that was was threatening to eat up every bit of habitat that was in Texas. So he did this natural area survey to be able to show that these are areas where you shouldn't be doing this kind of nonsense. Yeah. And that survey has ended up feeding land preservation by uh, Nature Conservancy Texas, other land places, state parks. Um, many people for decades looked to this survey to find out where they should get their next park, where they should get their next preserve. Uh, some of these, for instance, went into the Dallas County open space system. Nice. And um, he, um, he actually ended up getting the SMU class or group there at Southern Methodist University mm -hmm. ended up doing the final collation of the data. And somehow he got the EPA to print it. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, you know, and he was, he was a lawyer, so he had yes. all these connections in high places and people he could reach out to. And mm -hmm. I think that's a very valuable point that he, he wasn't just like, you know, a nature mm -hmm. lover by himself out there. He he knew the buttons to push and the people to call. And that's where he was essential to the Big Thicket movement. Um, he had always loved the Big Thicket. And um, because of its birds, he'd been obsessed with the red cockaded woodpecker for a long time. He um, What he did with the, the Big Thicket people was he kind of went there and made friends with Maxine Johnson and uh, the other lady whose name I'm forgetting, because I try to call her someone else's name. Gerald, Geraldine. Geraldine. Yes, yes. And um, he already had a tremendous amount of knowledge. And he kind of married his knowledge with their knowledge. They did a lot of knowledge swapping there. And um, he kind of raised everybody's level of knowledge about the big thicket. And he kind of told them that this is a Texas topic. This is not regional to Southeast Texas. This is of Texas-wide importance. This is of national importance. And so he made something called the Big Thicket Organizational Committee or something like that. Anyway, it was a committee that included the various Big Thicket groups, but also the Sierra Club, the Audubon Society, uh, Texas Nature Conservancy, all of these other groups. And he um, started working with that um, to get, make the issue bigger. And then as they started, you know, he, he stressed that this has to be made legal. This has to, as, as, as crazy as it is, you're going to have to work with the government on this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I would suggest that this not end up in the national forest service hands because it could be logged mm -hmm. at any time. It either has to be made a wilderness which Texas didn't have any of at the time, or it has to end up in the National Park Service hands um, to make sure that it is given the treatment and the study capability that it needs to have. So he started working with um, John Bryant, who was his good friend, who actually had was an SMU student on the Texas Natural Area Survey. Wow. <laughs> um, and, and he had, uh, uh, Ned has created generations of environmental activists. He's inspired them. And he inspired uh, John Bryant to get a legal degree 
and go into politics. So once he did, he started pushing the, the big thicket people and they had also knew that this was the case, yeah. that this needed to be made legal. And so he starts working with John Bryant. And then when John Bryant um, uh, uh, was no longer representative, he started working with other people and uh, started getting various bills for the big thicket preservation moving through Congress. And um, there was years of fighting yeah. over how big it should be, which sections it should be, all of this kind of stuff. And there was there was intra-environmental fighting as yeah. well. Yeah. And he, he he hacked off a lot of people <laughs> in the process. <laughs> and uh, but ultimately it was his legal knowledge and ability to work with legislators that and, and knowledge of Washington. He had yeah. intense knowledge of Washington um, that enabled finally the final legislation to get pushed. And um, it was set. And then the Park Service went, we don't want this. <laughs> this is boggy and it doesn't have a central feature. And most of our parks are like, you know, developed and we've got bells and whistles and stuff. And he said, okay. Let's start a new category in the yeah. National Park Service, which is biological preserve. Yeah. And that's how the big thicket ended up being saved. And that was, it, it, it was, I want to say it's his idea, but I'm sure as with everything with Ned, it's a group. Yeah. He always worked in, in groups as much as he could to make sure that um, everybody's on board, you know, that we yeah. all agree. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. I know how much of a, how hard it was for the big thicket to be preserved and how much work, you know, Geraldine put in and Maxine put in mm -hmm. and all these other people behind the scenes and what they went up against with timber companies and private oh. landowners and personal, Charlie. personal mm -hmm. trials and tribulations. They all experienced due to that. And Charlie um, Wilson. Yeah. Not, not much fun to deal with Charlie Wilson. Yeah. And, and there's this great story about um, that is definitely a, a true story that, Geraldine Watson had just had it. She'd had it with the infighting. She'd had it with the struggle. She was ready to give up. And she wasn't responding to Ned's phone calls. She didn't respond to a letter he sent to her. So Ned, who never drove himself anywhere, he always had someone else drive him so that he could work in the car while he was being driven someplace. And he got in his car, drove himself, to Geraldine Watson's house, <laughs> knocked on the door. She didn't answer. <laughs> he goes around to the back door, <laughs> knocks on it. She finally answers. They sit down at the kitchen table and he convinces her to go on. And she and Maxine both have small tributes on the website saying, you know, um, it was a group effort, but Ned was the one that pushed us over the finish line. Yeah. You know, who got it legal, who got it done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Trinity forms the eastern border, western border yes. of the big thicket. And so at the time that he's finalizing all this stuff in um, the big thicket, he's discovering that these same water hustlers <laughs> who had the crazy <laughs> idea in the 50s were at it again in the 60s and 70s. And they had decided that they wanted to make the Trinity River into a barge canal from Fort Worth to the Gulf. Yeah. 
And that he wasn't going to tolerate. And so he um, he started work on that while he's doing that. He he had just come through what was called the Great Weed War. And that was when the city of Dallas took him to court to try to force him to mow his lawn. And he kind of had a prairie for a front lawn. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first native plant advocates like in the nation to, to get in the headlines. And this made national news, this this fight of his with the city of Dallas. Um, that was in 7071, I believe. And he won, as he almost always did in his legal <laughs> cases. And because he was always, wherever he went, he was the best prepared guy in the room. You know, he it's had his fun. stuff, he had his papers, he had everything. In fact, he was known for carrying around giant stacks of papers wherever he went. And um, so he started to work in Dallas to, um, to fight the Trinity Barge Canal. And that came to a head in 1973, so 50 years ago. Yeah. And he, um, I mean, this Barge Canal had the support of former governors, former um, and current um, mayors of all the cities. He, they even went out and got little town mayors to agree that this was a great thing because they could, these Trinity Canal supporters could talk up a storm about all the things this will do for you and it's going to bring you this and that and jobs and commerce and and they wish wouldn't talk about these other things like you know that they were predicating all of this on an absurdly low interest rate um that 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 in the stuff in there was the ability to basically keep asking citizens for money and so they had arranged it to where the citizens were basically picking up the, by far the bulk of the tab one way or the other, either from federal money or from flat out bond elections. And the people who were benefiting from this canal were not really paying much of the tab. Right. You know, yeah. And they were all pissed off because, quite frankly, the railroads were gouging them. Yeah. For free. Yeah. Because the railroads had realized that when river traffic kind of started to abate, hey, we can charge what we want. Right. You know, these businessmen, they're all for free market until it affects them. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Ned did what he always does, which is create a coalition, grab from as many diverse parties as he could to show that it was a broad base of appeal. And in fact, when he first started fighting the canal, he really downplayed the environmental angle. He went after the economic angle mm-hmm. because he knew that that had a broader base of support. And so he put together a coalition that was um, uh, fiscal conservative Republicans back when there was such a thing. Right. <laughs> um, there was even some George Wallace Democrats in there. And um, there was um, he got the attention of the people at SMU where he got his law degree. And um, he got an economics professor who looked at the figures of the canal proponents and went, whoo-wee. Yeah. <laughs> that stinks. <Yeah. laughs> There's all kinds of bad stuff in there. <laughs> and uh, he got a theologian from SMU to lead it. Now, that theologian was a very uh, politically conservative gentleman, but he also kind of saw it as a moral issue. Hmm. Rivers are God's creations. 
to completely obliterate a river is not something God would really like us to do. Right. So, um, and then he got the SMU archaeology department in on it to talk about what, you know, civilization has always happened next to the river. Mm -hmm. So how much evidence of ancient civilizations would be obliterated? Oh, yeah. Because the canal is not just a canal. I mean, they were going to straighten this river, take out all of its bends. It was going to be 250 feet wide. Yeah. Just the canal. Then you have all of this stuff coming into it, railroad lines, um, roads for for trucks and all this other kind of stuff. So it's a huge swath that is going through. So we're talking about wiping out millions of trees, you know, lots of bottom land, all of this stuff. And um, so he got to work making this coalition. He brought in uh, fishermen. He brought in uh, people, uh, communities of color, because... um, when we started moving away from river traffic, freedmen started moving toward, because this is when the railroad started to ascend. And we stopped using rivers for, for, for barge traffic. And uh, then uh, African-Americans and Hispanics started moving to the riverside because they knew they wouldn't be bothered there. Yeah. So some very important communities ended up along the rivers of, um, of freedmen and people of color. And uh, so he reached out to them and he, then he started bringing in all of the environmentalists. Now that he had a broad base, he started bringing in the environmentalists and the Sierra club was extremely important in this fight. And uh, by this time, Ned had formed his group, Texas committee on natural resources. And um, they went to work and they were outspent a hundred to one. Wow. Wow. And in effect, the canal proponents made an advertisement and it said, here are all the people who are for the canal and here are the people against it. And it was basically Ned Fritz and the (laughs) SMU guys and this um, Republican congressman named Alan Steelman. Wow. Who happened to be a fiscal conservative and also an environmentalist. So right as all this fight is going on, Alan Steelman is challenging this Democratic god named Earl Cabell, who was the Dallas mayor for many, many years. And uh, Earl Cabell um, had a U.S. representative seat, 5th District, and uh, which ended up being was John Bryant's. Mm, and um, right. he, uh, he decided he would challenge Earl Cabell. And I mean, this district had not gone to a Republican in many, many years. But Alan Steelman felt like the time was, and he ran on an anti-canal campaign. Wow. And so, by God, the guy won. (laughs) He won. And, you know, that kind of struck fear into the heart of the canal proponents because they went, oh, these people are like organized and... And they, we had our smoking gun, the, the canal opponent's smoking gun, Ned's uh, attack dog was a guy yeah. named Henry Fulcher. And Henry Fulcher had been named importer of the year. This is a guy who knew commerce. He knew what commodities are traded and how that goes and everything. And he saw the canal as a bunch of kafui. Mm-hmm. And and he's a Republican and he has his shiny shoots and his shiny, shiny suits, shiny shoes, Slicked back hair, looked the part of an upstanding businessman, 
compared to Ned, who's got this wild red hair <laughs> and the, the, the academics who were, you know, academics. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so Ned sent his attack dog to talk to Congress, to talk to appropriation hearings, to do talks around Dallas. And about in this, the last throes of this in the end of 72, the canal proponent, um, executive director, Trinity Improvement Association, he kind of lets slip at a hearing that, oh, well, you know, eventually we're going to have to have a bond election and y'all are going to have to kick in like 10%. <laughs> and the citizens of Dallas and North Texas went, say what? Yeah. We're going to do what? You want us to what? You, this is all going to be paid for you guys, right? And so then a bond election had to be set. And the canal proponents, because they had all this political power, they set that date before the environmental impact statement oh, gosh. would be released. And a lot of this hinges on the fact that the Environmental Policy Act was uh, set in the 1960s, and this required yeah. environmental impact statements on these things. And at that time, people were just going, eh, we're not going to pay any attention to that. Yeah. That's how the Wallaceville Dam had at the end of the Trinity and managed to get 70% built yeah. before the Sierra Club took them to court and said, you can't do this without an environmental impact report. Yeah. So anyway, they um, um, the, a bond election was, was, was set for um, March 13th, 1973. And um, about a, uh, about a month before that, the legal decision came down from a guy named Judge Bew, and um, he said, this Wallaceville project has to stop and stop now. And you get you, you environment, you Army Corps of Engineers, you, you've got to get an environmental impact statement on this whole thing. You got to get an environmental impact statement on the whole. Canal. Yeah. Yeah. Because this Wallaceville dam, which would have damned the Trinity at the bay was um, funded separately, but it was part of the same part of the canal. Yeah, part, yeah, yeah. So they, the judge says, "Look, funded separately or not, it's part of the same project. So you all got to get your act together and get out some environmental impact statements." Um, so that was real turning point. And then when the um, bond election, which had to be all 17 counties along the Trinity from Fort Worth to the Gulf. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the the Gulf County, I think it was Liberty, they were all for this. They <laughs> wanted to be a big port city. Yeah. You know? But the and the 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 uh, counties that were basically from Lake Livingston up towards Dallas, they were, you know, kind of depended on how much you believed your local politician. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the people who were like of the river, who were, were genuine country people who didn't want to be city wannabes, they were like, no, that's my <laughs> hunting ground. That's that I got people who lease that land to, to shoot deer and wild turkeys and dove i don't want to give that up that's yeah. my party yeah you know, that's my income yeah and that's where i fish for god's sake yeah 
So, um, so a lot of them were not real thrilled about this. And then um, once you got up to Dallas-Fort Worth, the tide was turning and Dallas-Fort Worth was definitely going. Bad idea. It's really fishing here. And aren't we building like one of the world's biggest airports right now? And isn't the interstate highway system like almost finished right now? Don't we have like two giant interstates going east-west through Dallas-Fort Worth? Don't we have a giant interstate going north-south through Fort Worth? Wait a minute. Isn't barge traffic like yesterday? Mm-hmm. And um, and that's why they went. That's why Steelman won. Was Steelman said, this is not our future. Maybe being an industrial town isn't what Dallas Fort Worth wants to be. Yeah. Maybe we want to be a finance town. Maybe we want to be something else besides manufacturing and, and, and shipping and stuff. And that's what Dallas said. I like this guy. I like his picture of where he thinks the city <laughs> should go. So uh, 50 years ago on March 13th, voters declined to fund the canal. And, and that that kind of kind of ended it. Um, the canal supporters actually went back to the federal government, which of all of the parties involved in this fight, the federal government was the most supportive because it has to do with committees and Congress and all that stuff, but you can work your connections. You know? Yeah. So they went back to the federal government and said, pay no attention to the vote, pay no attention to Alan Steelman's election. I think that we should, uh, we think that you should give us more money for more studies. And, uh, and we'll prove to you this time that the canal <laughs> is a good idea. What's funny is this, this would be like the eighth, eighth study on this idea wow. that it kept every time they did a study, the study would come out and go, not enough traffic to warrant all this money. Yeah. And there's not enough water in the river up Yeah. Here. I was going to say the water is a big issue. Yeah. Because once you get to the Trinity headwaters, which is where the river is made, the Trinity headwaters for the most part are in a very dry area of Texas. Mm-hmm. So they're in effect, this is how crazy these people were. They were going to put a reservoir um, called Tennessee Colony Reservoir, which was near the town of Liberty, I think. Yeah, so, yeah, I know that area. Near the town of Trinidad, mm-hmm. and, uh, which was going to flood the town of Trinidad, which was news to Trinidad. And um, they were going to build a reservoir there, and they were going to pipe all that water into Lake Benbrook which would then feed into the Clear Fork and then to the West Fork so that they would have enough water in Fort Worth to float a damn barge. Craziness, utter craziness, you know. So it, um, and it was the 50s water plan all over again, you know, crazy, grandiose ideas. I mean, and the Trinity Canal that they were pitching was a scaled down version of what the Corps wanted to do. The Corps wanted to put canals up into, you know, Dallas suburbs. And oh they my were gosh. And it was it was crazy how much stuff they wanted to do. So that's the story of the Trinity Barge Canal. <laughs> and we're celebrating that in Dallas on April 6th with a screening. And there's a fabulous documentary that KERA uh, PBS did called um, Living with the Trinity. 
And it was put out in 2009. And it was a kind of a look back at um, the fight and the drama of all of these things happening and shifts and everything. And um, you can find that online. Yeah, if you're yeah. not up here in Dallas and able to come to the screening on April 6th, you can find it online. Okay. Yeah. And it's a very well done documentary um, produced, edited, uh, directed, no, not edited, but produced, directed, written by Rob Tranchin, edited, um, photographed by Jenny Martin. Uh, it was, uh, it was just a typical well done PBS documentary. Nice. And yeah. Nice. Um, it was, uh, Ned was, by that point, Ned was um, uh, not able to be on camera. Okay. And so he's not very much featured in it, but it's a story well told. Right, right. Yes. Good. <laughs> yeah, Ned, I don't know what was up with the barge canal situation, because Florida had the same thing happen in the 70s. Yeah. They wanted to build across Florida barge canal. And I'm like, what is with this barge canal idea? Who's, mm-hmm. <laughs> whose idea is that? Unfortunately, they did part of it started mm-hmm. um i'm glad i'm glad texas was spared that disaster because that would have just been yeah. a mess to try to save and re- and fix um yeah and the the texas parks and wildlife released a statement which they in the statement they said this must be read into the official documents of things and they called it environmental devastation ecological devastation yeah they they thought it was they said we are part of what sets the policy for management of natural resources in texas that's why we have all of our scientists that's why you fund our science so that we can help you make good decisions about this stuff we've had a policy for a long time now that says no channelizing of rivers that that wipes out too much habitat and it also creates flooding situations for wherever the end of the canal is you're going to have flooding yeah you know so um this has been our policy and we can't understand why the state is not listening to us and our policy and also the epa came out with a statement that said what are you going to do at wallaceville (laughs) why have we not heard about this where's our statement and no, yeah, no, Wallaceville creating a giant reservoir and denying the flood of nutrients and so forth that the estuary, which is one of the largest in the nation, yeah, you cannot deny them that. You, yeah. it, it doesn't matter if you've got bypass past channels or whatever, yeah, you know, because making the Trinity Barge Canal wasn't just straightening a river they it was going to be a series of what they call slack pools mm-hmm. so it was just going to be one reservoir after another after another shallow rather shallow reservoirs and of course they were predicting all of this uh recreation was yeah. going to happen from these slack pools because everybody wants to go recreate a place where giant <laughs> barges are passing through right yeah we all love Let's hang out with the industry, right? Right. You know, and yeah, the birds are going to love that and, you know, the fish and all that. And so um, they they said, you know, you can't, these slack pools and this reservoir are going to completely change the ecology of the estuary, which commercial fishing depends on. Yeah. 
and all this bird life depends on. And this is where birds overwinter, remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is an international thing. These are not just our birds. Those are South America's birds and so forth. They're coming up here. Birds are coming down from Canada to stay here. You can't mess with this. And we have, by the way, a Migratory Bird Act. Yeah. We're messing with that as well. So um, it was crazy how far it went. How far it went. Is, you know, today, you know, I know there are people doing work in Texas in all sorts of facets, but is there anybody of Ned Fritz's caliber that you know of doing the similar work because I to me it just feels like Texas is just languishing in our environmental protection (laughs) Um, we're about to lose the state park we're about to lose you know a lot to development Um, who's doing Ned Fritz's job these days well one of the good things is that um, and I'm looking up there is a, a, a basically a Ned too and uh he is um advocate texas national yes his name is jim blackburn okay and i highly recommend jim blackburn's blog he is working not just with rivers but also with the coast he's a houston kind of guy and um he is a lawyer and he was actually the lawyer for when we fought some other crazy north texas river ideas um, he was the lawyer on that. So he okay. is a, he often steps in and serves as the lawyer for some of these river-based fights. Okay. Um, the uh, net formed when, after Ned passed away, um, the Texas Committee on Natural Resources became Texas Conservation Alliance. And that was run uh, by many years by one of Ned's protégés named Janice Bazanzum. Janice Bazanzan's son, who was very influenced by Ned, he is now one of the top Nature Conservancy Texas people. Okay. He is when they um when when they are ready, he basically helps them find preserves and then steps them through the legal real estate process to to make it in a to preserve or to get a conservation easement on it. So uh he, like Ned, knows the state very, very well. He knows where the the places that need to be preserved are and all of that. So um, he's he's very pivotal to things, but he's not a lawyer. And Nature Conservancy tends to stay out of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, But Texas Conservation Alliance uh, was run by Janice Bazanson for a long time. Then they had kind of an interim director who um, is now working for the Houston Zoo. Uh, Ben Jones. And now what they did was they lured over the executive director of John Bunker Sands Wetlands Center. And this is a very interesting project in Dallas to where by the time the East Fork has come through the Dallas Metroplex and has started heading to its union with the Trinity River, uh, it is extremely polluted. And it is particularly full of all that crap that runs off of lawns and developments. So it's got a lot of fertilizer in it. It's got a lot of E. coli in it. And some of these things are are very hard to remove. 
you know, fertilizer is surprisingly hard to get out of. Yeah. Them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, that fertilizer then creates algae blooms mm-hmm. and other things that are horrible. And uh, so they came up with this, this, uh, a wealthy family in Dallas, a uh, very wealthy family, um, came up with this idea that they would start a wetland center and they would extract water from the East Fork. They would clean it. And then they would pipe that water back to Lake Levon, oh, which wow. is one of the main water sources of Dallas. And yeah. it's like 40 miles or something. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. And um, it is a magnificent center. It does extremely good work. Not only do they do this, they use the wetlands to clean the water and take out the fertilizer and all this other stuff. But they, um, that is amazing habitat for mm-hmm. water birds and river otters and other creatures. And, um, and it's extremely well run. It's got a great volunteer base. Uh, it has a lot of uh, corporate support. And so TCA, Con- Texas Conservation Alliance, lured that executive director away. <laughs> and now he is the executive director of TCA. And I think we're looking at a new a new generation of, of TCA activism that is going to be working. Um, they do they do a lot of public events. They do a lot of volunteers. Squads of volunteers will go out and clean litter and stuff like that. But with John DiFilippo at the helm, I think we're looking at a new generation of of TCA. That that this is TCA is going to be working. I think with John kind of behind the scenes to start getting that corporate support, to start getting that um, uh, idea out that stop, stop with the destruction of the bottomlands. We don't have many left. And in fact, the preservation of bottomlands is a huge uh, thing that the Texas Parks and Wildlife is behind right now. They Mm -hmm. are really stressing that bottomlands need to be preserved because they are a bastion of diversity. Yes. And especially in Texas, basically they are our rainforests. Yes. The Marvin Nichols project that they're trying to get going, the reservoir. Oh, nature. yes. Yeah. Ah, there's a lot of diversity held in that yeah. land. Yeah. Flood. That land that they want to flood when there's Toledo Brand Reservoir, which is saying, buy our water. Yeah. Yeah. Please buy our water and we'll raise it a couple of inches, which we can do like not even thinking about it. And there's more water <laughs> in those two inches than your whole reservoir. It's Marvin Nichols, which is shallow and prone to evaporation, bring on the climate change. Yeah. Um, so um, that is, that is right there in the middle of John DeFilippo's list of things to do is fighting this reservoir. Janice Bazanzan is still fighting that reservoir. And it's going to be really interesting to yeah. see how that turns out. But I have a lot of faith in John. And um, this is a, a good, good place for him to yeah. be. Well, and I've uh, seen in the last year, like the TCA, they've done really well with their Lights Out Texas during the mm-hmm. migratory seasons. And that yeah. social media uh, campaign has worked really well. Um, yes. So, yeah, I do see more of them in in front-facing social media standpoint. So hopefully mm-hmm. they can lure more people in, become volunteers, get yeah. get active in, you know, protecting Mm-hmm. all of our natural resources in the state. Yes. And lights out, you know, it, it's helpful if houses 
do it. But where we have to get cooperation is downtown. Yes. Corporations and government. And that is where TCA excels. Yeah. 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 I mean, the Audubon Society, they are great, but their science is in, in, in birds. Yeah. You know, whereas politics, TCA has decades of history in this. Yeah. So I'm I'm feeling really good about them. Texas Land Conservancy, yes, another group that ta- that Ned founded, and that was founded because they needed to, because of some of the, the the way the law was written about big thicket, parcels needed to be connected. Yeah, and uh, some of these parcels were not Nature Conservancy quality, and so Ned decided to form this land trust so that they could start patching together. The, the some of the big thicket parcels mm-hmm. and uh and then of course it's gone out to just the whole state yeah yes the whole state and also now they're preserving ranch lands prairies um other things yeah not just bottom land riparian oriented stuff so yeah. Yeah. i'm feeling really good about where they're going they've been really solid and stable for a while um the the Texas um, Native Prairies Association of Texas yes. has uh, really stepped up their game recently. And, um, but again, we do need legal advocates. Yes. Interestingly enough, there's a, one of them is a friend of mine in Dallas who is finishing up her legal degree. And I think in 10 years, she could be another net. Good. We need them. <laughs> I know. Constantly I know. just shaking my head at the decisions our state makes. And I'm going, ah, oh, you know, you know, I can only do so much. I don't, I don't know the, the legalities of everything. And I don't know the, I'm not the type of person to be lobbying people, but I can just sit here and shake my head. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm glad that there are people out there working and doing, doing Ned's uh, legacy, keeping it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, you had mentioned one of your questions, you know, what role did his wife play? And yeah. his wife was just Jeannie Fritz. Um, Ned's first 10 years, 15 years um, as a lawyer were as a advocate for the consumer. And he was known as the guy who took on loan sharks and won. Now, loan sharks and mafia have a pretty tight connection there you know and um and and it was not an easy thing to do and his life was threatened um and so he um had this i mean there's an entire body of appellate law based on ned fritz (laughs) he was in his 20s when he did this no one does yeah if you looked at all of the appellate law in texas ned takes up a good chunk of it you know, and it's still on the books. It still holds because always the best prepared guy in the room. So um, he was very much concerned with communities of color and how they were treated and their ability to get loans, legitimate loans to buy land, to buy businesses. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Jeannie, was very much a part of this work. And Jeannie worked with uh, the League of Women Voters to she was part of the team and actually an old friend of the Fritzes, um, uh, Louise Raggio, led the charge 
And this is while Ned is actually a law lawyer for the Texas Credit Union. And they pushed through the right for women in Texas to buy land and have credit in their own name. 1974. Wow. Yeah. That is less than 50 years ago. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yes. So um, she um, really worked with him starting back then. She raised four daughters and, and Ned was a very good father. He was not an absent father. He was always there for his family and always took time for them. And then she got involved with the League of Women Voters. And I mean, things start happening with her and particularly bringing to the League of Women Voters, um, especially up here in Dallas, you got to bring in all women. Yeah. Bring in all colors of women. You got to bring on all sexualities of women. This is who we are. And uh, then she, um, when the law was passed and women still couldn't get loans, she was part of a team that started a credit union for women so that they could. (laughs) Um, She worked internationally bringing um, because Ned was huge proponent of democracy and uh, she worked internationally to um, bring the idea of democracy to uh, Latin America, where she had extensive contacts in Latin America due to her family coming from there. And um, then particularly when Ned retired from full-time lawyering in 1970, um, it, partly because his his pension as a naval officer came in because Ned was in World War II. He was a he trained pilots is what they ended up okay. to do. But he was going to be a pilot in the invasion of Japan, which as we know was ended by the atom bomb mm-hmm. uh, bombs. So um particularly at, she was always his typist. <laughs> always and I can show you some of Ned's handwriting. It's impossible, totally impossible. Not only is his scribble bad, but he's constantly putting notes in the margins and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, so she typed up all of his stuff. And that is every letter, every article, every book that he did, she typed up. Wow. And while she's typing, she's editing. Yeah. She's making the sentences right. She's making the grammar right. She's kind of organizing things and 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 putting them in a good order and breaking them up into segments um so she once he retired in 1970 and started really you know wrapping up big thicket working on the canal then he started working on clear cutting in east texas yeah and that was his fight in the 80s was was clear cutting. And so she is at that time, he is cranking out newsletters <laughs> from T. Connor, Texas Committee on Natural Resources. And so she is typing together all this copy. And um, she um, he went to battle with the 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 National Forest Service in Texas, which he believed was basically a situation where it was collusion. Yeah, that the, the forestry industry and the forestry schools were this sort of this trio that was making decisions that were not the the, the Forest Service has what's called the multi-use act mm-hmm. applies to them. And that means that you got to make everybody happy. Yeah. And Ned was saying, you are violating your own act. You are not 
clear cutting does not help anybody else but but forestry. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then he says, and it is pushing this bird, red cockaded woodpecker, to extinction. to extinction. Yeah. So he starts fighting with them. These are mega epic fights. And there were environmental groups that felt like they were making headway with the National Forest Service and that they were going to get certain, you know, acquiescences from them. And Ned is going, you got to look at these people, honestly. You're, this is, look at how long you've been promised this stuff and nothing has happened. Nothing's ever going to happen. The only way things happen is that you make it legal. They're promising you scenic areas that they can change their mind yeah. and log yeah. a scenic area whenever they want to. Yeah. So what does that get you besides Nothing. an empty promise from people who don't seem to keep their promises very well? So um, he starts taking them to court. That went on for a long, long time. Um, it was set off by logging in the Sam Houston National Forest. And they happened to be logging where the uh, Lone Star Trail goes through, which yes, was yes. put in by the Sierra Club. Yeah. Houston Sierra Club in particular. And um, so Ned kind of rallied the forces and started fighting that. And he was not as successful as he wanted to be, but he did get certain policy changes. And what he did was help environmentalists feel like if they talked loud enough and long enough that they could make an impact. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there are environmentalists from this original fight who are uh, making tremendous impacts in the East Texas forest. Good. Um, by working with them and for them knowing that, well, this guy was trained by Ned. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a worthy opponent, yes. as they call it. Um, so he wrote his first book, Encouraged by Jeannie. When um, he lost that fight, he wrote Sterile Forest. And Sterile Forest is a heartbreaking book. Yeah. Heartbreaking. It's full of interesting characters. And you really get a sense of how the politics works by reading this book. It's shocking, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, then, um, then he started doing these forest powwows were part of this. And <clears throat> when Ned lost that fight with the Forest Service, he turned right around, went to his pal, John Bryant, and said, okay, let's get some wildernesses made. There was only one wilderness area at the time, and that was at the Guadalupe Mountains National Park. Again, park service, yes. easier to work with. Yeah. And um, so he said, let's make some wilderness areas in East Texas. So he starts that fight. And uh, he went for 100,000 acres is what he wanted, about what he wanted the big thicket to be. Mm -hmm. And uh, he starts working on that and he starts getting, you know, then, <laughs> then uh, uh, Charlie Wilson goes, what? You again? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was rid of you. And um, so he starts working with it again. We have generations, uh, that, but it, it did eventually get through under john bryant's watch or shortly thereafter um the the wilderness bill 
gets through federal Congress, Texas Wilderness Act, and it ends up being, I think, 36,000 acres down from 100, but they're there. Um, They're not managed as well as many of us would like. Um, These wilderness areas, even though they're wilderness, they do need their prescribed burns. They need their invasive Mm -hmm. controls. Uh, they need to be watching more closely about uh, illegal road incursions and illegal dumping and things like that, but they're there. Yeah. And Ned's victory lap was Realms of Beauty. Yes. Where he went, I got the wilderness <laughs> and here's how you go see them, you know, because he knew them completely. You know, so it's a wonderful book that stands to this day, partly because the it does yeah. so little uh, <laughs> that the, the roads and the trailheads and everything are yeah. still there. Yeah, and um, and he's got Catahoula Forest Preserve, which isn't open to the public, but it's part of this making sure that there's a contiguous uh, yes wilderness path there. Yeah. So um, he did that, and then. After that, and I forgot what stimulated it, but he decided to do um, a clear cutting, a crime against nature. Yes. And, and this was basically as his forest powwows, then he renamed them rallies. Um, as they started to get national, people started asking Ned, will you come in? Will you teach us? So he went up to the Midwest. He went up to Michigan. He he taught people there how to preserve their forests. Then the people in the Northwest called him and said, we got a real problem up here. Guess what? We got an endangered bird, spotted owl. We need your help. So he goes up there. Because Ned was a pilot, he still had his, he could talk plain lingo and pilot lingo. So yeah. He had some pilot friends and those pilot friends flew him around (laughs) Texas. They flew him all over the Southeast and into the Midwest. I mean, and these were like hopper tours. I mean, this is a a propeller plane and he is going all these places, but he's able to see clear cutting from the air. Yeah. Because he's in a little plane and they're flying low. So he um, tours all this area and he, um, puts all of this knowledge and all these stories together in clear cutting a crime against nature. Again, edited by Jeannie, you know, talked about Jeannie, all of this stuff. Um, Both of those are, those copies are really hard to find now. Yeah. Even used copies, we're starting to lose them. We have 15 copies of Sterile Forest as a hardback. And I think they're not even, they don't even have a hardback version available anymore. Yeah. So those three books, though, were are still Bibles. Yeah. People still turn to them to see the techniques, to see, um, to get inspired about how what they can do, you yeah. know, what yeah. one person can do. And then by the time that that's all done, we're 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 you know Ned is getting to be kind of old yeah <laughs> um he was in the middle of this i was i think after stero- uh clear cutting was finished anyway he had an aneurysm aortic mm-hmm. aneurysm nearly died from that he'd already had an abdominal aneurysm um and so it was time for ned to start winding down and uh 
um, he had a very powerful group in Dallas called Save Open Space, and they carried on without him. And um, he, um, his last act, basically, was to be part of the group that was fighting another crazy idea. And that was to put a tollway in Dallas. There's a huge, what's called the Dallas floodway system. Yeah. Giant levees on either side of the Trinity, which has been straightened. And, and so people have been looking at this blank land going, we should build in that. Look at it. It's just <laughs> down there doing nothing. And indeed it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars to mow. Yeah. Every year. It's insane how much it costs to mow a levied area. And uh, so they said, well, let's put a road down there, a toll road down there, and that'll relieve congestion. Well, it would have relieved congestion to like 3%. Yeah. Millions of dollars to reduce traffic on the Interstate 35 East by 3%. Well, that's not worth it. And so he came in with them to basically give advice, to be their inspiration, um, and to give them a couple of pivotal pieces of information that he knew from his previous fights of acts that they could turn to, committees that they could turn to, and 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 basically help yeah. persevere this. Um, he had, um, and some of that came from the what we call Canal Two, which was yeah. Defend the canal four years later from from uh, a resurgence of trying to, to get it going again. So um, his last act was to help prevent the Trinity toll road or tollway from. <laughs> and, um, you know, he was just. From the Texas wildernesses to the work on the shore to you know, basically reeling in some of the more egregious practices of the National Forest Service. Um, his mark is everywhere. Chances are there is something in your region or your county that he helped preserve in one way or the other. Heck, he did preservation at Big Bend, you know, yeah. um, and even all the way to El Paso. His mark is there. Um, his mark is in the Palo Duro Canyon. His mark is outside of Waco, where early on he prevented um, a federally funded golf course from being put into <laughs> Golden Cheek Warbler Habitat. Oh, goodness. Yes. And that was one of his, that was in the 50s, 50s, early 60s fight. Um, so, you know, his mark is, is everywhere. Yeah. And and his legacy lingers. I was just reading the history of the Fort Worth district of uh, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. And ooh, he's mentioned several times. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not in the best of terms either. No. <laughs> but his, um, and, and indeed, the Texas Forest Service books are oh, yeah. full of Ned Fritz. <laughs> not <laughs> probably bad word in their books <laughs> yeah um so he is an amazing man i'm i regret that i didn't get on this sooner yeah um i had a detour in my life and i was an entertainment journalism journalist for a couple of decades and so when i should have been writing about ned i'm writing about stand-up comedy and music and stuff um but i'm glad we're doing it uh it will eventually get done yeah um, 
it is a, a long project because of so much that he's done. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting to know the big thicket better. Yeah. I'm fixing to interview Pete Gunter. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. In spite of being, you know, for, there's this weird connection between the big thicket and University of North Texas and Denton. Mm-hmm. And they published some of the original works and yeah, studies. They did. About yeah. them. And in fact, that work, there's still a big bird consciousness in University of North Texas to this day, partly from the big thicket work. So um, again, the impact of Ned. Yeah, um, it's everywhere. And and Pete, I'm going to be interviewing Pete Gunter here soon, and um, Pete Sorensen, who was part of the um, um, uh, Spotted Owl in the Pacific Northwest, who again Ned convinced to go into politics, and he eventually <laughs> became a senator. Um, is either state or federal senator, but um, there is so much of Ned and so few of his colleagues are still around. Yeah. You know, so it's been challenging. I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down there and I'm going to get Maxine. Yeah, you better. <laughs> I'm going to talk to Maxine here soon. There is a, um, a, 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 a Penny, Penny Kent, I think at the Lamar university um, has a whole bunch of information for us that I need to connect with her about Um but it's it's important to recognize that he was the father of nature conservation in Texas, mm-hmm. that he kind of opened doors for a lot of other groups. Uh, the Lone Star Sierra Club, I think he really gave them a boost. I think he gave Audubon a boost. Um, he, um, he stimulated so much and then he stimulated generations of people. There are so many people who are my age in the 60s who say, yeah, Ned was my inspiration to do what I do. Um, So it's important for people to realize that they can be Ned, too. And and Ned would even say this, pick an area. Yeah. Work it. Yeah. Save it. Because Ned started. This whole freaking thing started because they wanted to uh, channelize the creek behind his house, the creek that actually went through his property. He had property on both sides of the creek, and they wanted to channelize that. And he said, no way are you going to do this. And they didn't. And as a result, the Bachman Creek Greenbelt, which you don't have a greenbelt on a channelized piece of creek. Mm -mm. You know, um, is one of the most popular places in Dallas to go walking, you know, and those people from those wealthy houses nearby have no idea. Yeah. The path that they take their kids in their expensive strollers down that's there because of Ned and Jeannie, you know, and they have no idea. And so I want I want this to be known and I want it to be in a website that when you go to Google, it's going to come up right now. I have to go to public libraries and go through digital databases. And I have to go to the Texas legacy project is where yeah, you can get a lot of, that's great a good one, but you got to listen to those transcripts or read those transcripts. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. There's also a, at UNT, of course, um, somebody did their doctoral thesis on that. 
So that's another great um, uh, source of information um, about Ned. And, but again, it's 232 pages <laughs> in academies, you know, so it's yes. really something to go through. I have a friend who's tried to read it three times and she keeps falling asleep. <laughs> um, so she is um, sorry, defending my bird feeder from squirrels. <laughs> Um, so I want this out in an easy to grab information place. Yes. And um, I think, I think we will. Yeah, I think you so. Know, it's a, a great team. Yeah. Uh, and Scooter Smith are the, the team. We're doing well, it. I and think I could probably talk nice to you for like many more hours and get yeah. more anecdotes and, and, and all of that, <laughs> but I will be checking the website as you add more data and information right. about Ned and, um, and all of that in the coming years, because, you know, he's, he did so much and I am appreciative for what he did. And I hope other people are, um, will be curious to <laughs> go to your website and um, any other upcoming talks you may be having soon. I'm doing one for the Dallas um, Native Plant Society. I think this one you have to be in person. It's next Tuesday, but I'll be talking about the Great Weed War and uh, Ned's passion for native plants. And uh, he had an amazing knowledge and his backpack was always full of books. I just think, what could Ned have done with apps and internet? Oh, right. <laughs> would have been unstoppable, you know. Um, so uh, that is um, that is the next talk. But if you'll go to netfritz.com and sign up for the newsletter, we very often will. And then there is, I have a talk about Ned that we did for the Dallas Sierra Club. And it is, if it's not on the website, it will be very soon. Okay. Uh, so we have a little section there of when, whenever we do a talk like this mm -hmm. that is captured on video, then we will lodge it in the video section of the website. Okay, perfect. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep talking. Yeah, I yeah, really perfect. appreciate this invite. I, I, as you can tell, I love talking about this. No, I mean, you know, I don't even have to hardly ask a question because the next question I have, it's going to come out. You know, you know what you're going to tell me. And <laughs> well, you gave um, it in advance. So. I know, but there's so much interesting things to learn, and yes. you know, I could probably pick your brain for for more hours, and maybe maybe you will. Maybe I'll have you come back on and, sure. and next year, and we'll talk some more about. Once I get through the the um the East Texas or the Big Thicket, that that would be a good time to have me back. Because yeah. I will have all kinds of information and stories. And um, I, I did get to see the Watson Ware Plant Preserve yes. And, yes. And, and talk with people who knew Ned and respected Ned. And, and I felt like a little of Ned lives there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a unique place. And I do a little volunteering over there. And I love going over there in the big thicket and mm -hmm. whenever I can. So I was, I was blown away. I, I had actually never seen it. Oh, nice. Yeah. I had been in the upper East Texas forest, but never all the way down there. And yeah. I was like, oh, I get it now. It's a unique place for sure. Yes. Yes. And what a treasure. And I just, the, the ranger that I met was charming and funny. And then you, you know, you go into the bookstore there at the yeah. station and there's all these books that I've mentioned Ned extensively and it was quite thrilling yeah, uh, to know that I was in his steps and we, we do, we, we, we are on the, 
we 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 rest on the shoulders of of ecological giants yes. like Ned. Yes. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And, you know, I certainly appreciate what you're doing. I know it's a massive t- undertaking and I'll be directing people who listen to this to your website. And if they have some money to donate to the website, then hopefully they'll do so. And hopefully they will, uh, you know, listen to any upcoming talks they have. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Great. And I'm signed up for your newsletter as well. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's it for my conversation with Amy Martin. I hope you learned something about Ned Fritz today and are intrigued to find out more about him and look up his books online. You can find more about Ned Fritz in the show notes at thegardenpathpodcast.com where I have links to Amy's website and more. Thanks so much for listening and I'll be back soon with another episode.